So hey, hey, welcome back to the show. We've got another amazing campfire for you. Today we are joined by um, three amazing, and I'm going to say young, you usually say middle young, but this time I'm actually young. saying young, yeah. Hey, middle young. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> we can always dream people, dream, dream, dream. Anyway, today we're joined by three amazing um, young ladies who, um, yeah, they are in an interesting line of work, really, I would say. Um, they are part of the Probation Service, which is an executive agency sponsored by Her Majesty's Prisoner and Probation Service, or Probation Services there. And, and uh, the Criminal Prosecution Service. Crown, Crown Prosecution Oh, the CPS. We're yeah. bigging up the CPS there. <laughs> <laughs> them out. Okay, Patsy, thank you for interjecting there. Have you got anything else? No, no, you don't. Right, so, um, you know, I'm really doing them a bit of an injustice here because uh, there is a lot of information out there, but I haven't managed to capture everything, so you're going to fill in the gaps. And I'm sure our um, expert statistician, Margaret, will be able to fill in some gaps. Oh, I see some raised eyebrows there, so let, let's see how we get on with that then. But one thing I will say is um, there was company recruitment for 1,000 probation officers to bolster the vital work to cut crime and protect the public. Now, um, let's see how that's going. So, thank you, Lyd. As, as Lyd has said, we've got some young professionals with us today, um, joining us middle young here on the shelf. <laughs> uh, so there's obviously Lyd, myself, Margaret and Helen, um, who are also in tow, so it's great to see. Um, so yeah, we've got Soraya and Hazel, who are paralegals, am I correct? And we have the wonderful Chelsea, um, not biased at all, but Chelsea works in the probation service. So let's give it a little background already. Um, just to add to that, um, I don't know if any of you guys watch Suits. I still love that show, by the way. Mm. Um, these wonderful ladies who work in that same field as um, AKA Meghan Markle, Rachel Kane, will know that the paralegals actually actually with more with more experience and solicitors and knew more stuff really and I'm sure you guys are going to tell us all about that. Isn't that always the case though? Look at nurses and doctors. Mm. <laughs> so uh, these young ladies are going to talk to us and tell us about their journeys, why they chose this particular career um, and how it's been for them. Um, we all know there's a disproportionate uh, number of black people using the service um, I'm sure Soraya, Chelsea and Hazel will be able to enlighten us um, and, yeah, take us through their story. So on that note, ladies, uh, Soraya, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about you and what you do? OK, so my name's Soraya. I'm a paralegal, so I work for CPS. I mainly work at court. So I assist barristers um, just with that throughout the case, so seeing witnesses, um, dealing with the case, updating the case, any material that, that they need preparing it, um, assisting with witnesses for the trial. It's kind of, you kind of have to keep counsel on track, if that makes sense, because sometimes they can go kind of off track or go in their own world. We have to kind of like to them, oh, can I release this witness on lunch? You know, worry about the witness. What's going to happen the next day? Like, just worry about things in advance more. And we also facilitate liaison with them and the prosecutors, because obviously the prosecutors don't tend to come to court and they mainly work from home um, and they have a massive case that they don't know every case inside out. So we're the ones that kind of fill in the gap at court for them. A bit like you're doing for us today. With that intro. Nice one, Soraya. Nice one, Soraya. Chelsea, tell, us, tell our listeners a little bit about you. 
Um, I work for probation. Um, in the probation service, there's many different roles that you can do. So I'm known as a probation service officer. I originally found myself in this role by accident because um, I came from a support work background and I thought I'd applied to work in a support kind of housing situation, which turned out to be a probation hostel. So I started off in the probation hostel working with high risk offenders. And then I ended up at court um, as a court duty officer where I was preparing reports for the judge. Um, so when people were found guilty or pled guilty to their offences, and the judges wanted more information on them. It basically was my job to kind of interview them, get some background information into the offence, into them, their circumstances, and then kind of make a proposal for the courts as an alternative to custody. So that's things like community service, tag, um, fines or courses and things like that. I just recently left the role in November and now I'm training um, to be a qualified probation officer so I can work with more high risk cases. So I'm currently doing offender management. So now that's the bit after court where I'm managing people on their sentences. So I'm, you know, checking in with them weekly supervision. Um, I do prison visits. I have to do home visits and just basically keep them on track and make sure they're not committing any further offences while they're on their orders, really. Oh, well done. And Hazel? So I also work for the CPS as a paralegal and I ended up working for the CPS because I did my legal practice courses. It, that's the course you do if you want to go on to qualify as a solicitor. And I thought it was going to be like really easy to get a training contract. That that's You need to, to qualify as a solicitor, you have to do a thing called a training contract. And then every application I did, it was like, you need more experience. Mm. So I worked as a paralegal in a criminal defence firm um and I was there for about a year but they weren't offering any training contracts but at the CPS you're able to get training contracts there so I started there as a paralegal um I haven't become I haven't got a training contract there yet but I would like to ultimately get one um so at the CPS with my role I work more alongside like with the lawyers so even though I go to court I only go to court generally like once a week and I'm doing the same thing like Soraya has already explained, you know, assisting counsel like any way that you can. But because I'm at home more, I do more like applications, so special measures applications, that's like with witnesses. Sometimes um, they'll need, so let's say if they live far from the court centre, they'll need to like maybe give evidence from home or give evidence from like a court which is closer to them. So I'll do that application. Um, and in terms of like the defendants, I do a thing called like a bad character application. So, for example, if you have someone who's been charged with, I don't know, like possession with intent to sell, if they have previous convictions for that, then I'll draft that application to try and get that bad character evidence in. I chase the police like nearly every day um, for evidence which they haven't submitted to us. And yeah, that's pretty much my job role in a nutshell. Wow. Wow. Mark, have you got... Um... Yeah, so I have a question. So two of you working for CPS, correct? Yeah. Yes. Okay, okay. Because my question was going to be probation is generally after the sentencing, isn't it? After somebody's no. been... Well, we have... We in, we are involved in the court so probation is like a kind of like a journey from when you're committing your offences throughout. So when I was based at court, um, that was probation's way of kind of saying do you know what we're all about community orders not sending people to prison so we're our objective is to avoid that which is why we are involved as court duty officers and we get called I get called into court 
almost as much as as I guess Soraya would be in court to deal with cases and the judges are asking me lots of questions as well. But is that then um, a re-offence that you're being drawn into? No, it's, it's essentially... Is it, is it the first offence? Is it? Yeah, is it could it, literally be okay. a prolific offender or a first-time offender. I think they're more interested in getting probation involved if it is a first-time offender because okay. they want to understand the reasons why behind your offending. And then like I said, I would prepare a report. So then I would say, you know, what's your personal circumstances? Like, like, why did you commit this crime? Is there, say, there's never really a reason to commit crime, but is there a reason behind your offending? And then if I, they, they're called criminogenic needs. So then I would identify these needs and say, look, instead of sending them to prison, you can send them into, into the community. Um, the judges look for an element of punishment and rehabilitation when they're sentencing. So we're the rehabilitation element, basically. Right, what I wanted to ask is because myself and Patsy did a restorative justice course. And so where does that fit into you then? Are you that are you that part where, okay, at what point does restorative justice come into it? So when I'm speaking to these offenders, and again, my end goal in the courts is to write a proposal for the courts. So when I'm speaking to someone and I can see maybe they're remorseful, they're not minimizing their offending behavior, they can actually take full responsibility for that. If they're willing to accept what they've done, then that's when I can say, do you know what, I think they'd be really beneficial to do restorative justice um, and kind of, so that's the rehabilitation side. So once they've been sentenced, they can be sentenced to re rehabilitative justice. Yeah, so just to um, let you know, to give you an outline of what restorative justice is, victims of a crime have questions that they might want to ask the offender mm. or things that they would like to actually say to get some kind yes. of closure and those kinds of things. And this is when cases go to court and they really, really get a chance to do so. Yes. Um, Victims are left frustrated and marginalised and restorative justice can help to address that by allowing the victim the opportunity to have their say, ask questions and potentially get an explanation or an apology. Yes, yeah, so definitely from like the offender's viewpoint, like if I'm interviewing someone and they're like, they don't see what they've done is wrong, it's not their fault, it's someone else, there's no point bringing them together with the victim because it's not going to be a, a conductive conversation but obviously if they are willing to take that which is very slim um, amount of people that do you know take responsibility and then they will be uh, sentenced to a bit of restorative justice. So Helen you got um you wanted to jump yeah. in there? I did I did and this is a really um this is a question that's probably for the end of the conversation but I'm quite nosy so I'm going to ask it now anyway um I'm quite curious obviously the three of you are in you know in the crown court prosecution service and also probation just understanding because I, I didn't really think about it before but in terms of the career pathways that are available um are you able just to outline you know some of the because I guess you guys are different stages of your journey I know that obviously towards being a solicitor you've got to do the training contract etc but just curious to understand in your eyes and in your opinion you know what what kind of career options are there so with um, the CPS, it's not only legal roles that they have there. So there's like different career paths that you could go down. So I know they have, it's called operational delivery. It's like a civil service term. So you can go down like a management kind of like route. You can also go down like a policy route as well. The route that obviously I know the most is the like legal route of it. So you start off, they have a paralegal assistant that's the first type of um paralegal you get and you'll be in court ball then you have a paralegal officer and then you work more alongside the lawyers doing like applications and stuff then after that then you have um it's called a reviewing lawyer 
also referred to as a prosecutor. Then you have a crown advocate. So that's wow, a, there's a lot. There is. I so that's say, and she's doing a good job of remembering that. <laughs> so that, that that's essentially a barrister. And then you have a senior crown advocate, which is also a barrister, but they'll do like more serious um, like cases. So, you know, like your rapes, your murders, that they'll do those kind of cases. So that's like a brief outline of like the senior. I was going to say, staying on the topic, then, yeah. um, how difficult have you found it in, on your journeys? So you've got your paths. What challenges have you found along the way? You know, um, it seems all very clear, the pathway. But as we know, there's lots of rocks. Yeah. Um, so for me, but this isn't only just at the CPS. I've had it like in my journey as to well, like wanting to become a solicitor. It felt that I was pushed more towards like the crime side of things, which luckily I was actually interested in anyway, because that does generally tend to be more like racially diverse. So crime and immigration and also family law, they're the more like racially diverse sort of areas, even though it's still not that diverse. But in comparison to like corporate law, there's mm. definitely more ethnic minorities that work um, within it. As you said, you used the word push towards, I would say, okay, then my question would be from a um, salary perspective, which is the more um, lucrative corporate, corporate law. They say are, are like crime doesn't more, pay. That's yeah. what they say in law, crime doesn't pay. It's like, if you're <laughs> working in crime, you must be doing it because like, you have to have a genuine interest and you care about it, because especially if you work in criminal defence, you get paid it's called like legal aid mm. so not all criminal cases but the majority of them it's being paid by legal aid and the fees really aren't that high so if you're doing it it, it must be because you really care yeah, yeah. yeah because you could you can be a diet like my friend um she works in a criminal defense firm and the partner um the money he was making I can't remember the exact um like amount it was but if you were to look at like a corporate firm looking for a trainee solicitor it's it's literally the same amount of money so it was literally that and it just shows the difference be yeah. like between it well, oh yeah so I was gonna say on the um career side because I worked for Ministry of Justice for five years as a freelancer but um I, I kind of got some insights into the policy makers and we also, I mean, for, for me, I'm an IT person. So we, we were generally implementing many of the IT capabilities that are being adopted by probation and then um, prisons. <clears throat> but yeah, I guess the, the career path is, is hugely varied, not just on the legal side. You know, there's still the IT functions, there's still the process and um, policy makers. There are the judges themselves. And, and people who support judges. So I guess, do you, are you guys thinking of branching out further into CPS and probation outside of just these probationary officer type roles and um, legal support representative type roles? I mean, you could go into judge work, surely, or is that is that a career option that's also put forward to you? They have different pathways in the CPS. They have like, um, you can do like an apprenticeship where they'll pay for you to go to uni, pay for you to do your like LPC, which is quite expensive. And then after that, you can become a prosecutor. Or they have like the paralegal pathway. They've now got um, a graduate pathway. 
where it's the graduate pathway they pay for your LPC isn't it yeah they pay for your qualification but me personally I do essentially I, I want to become like a solicitor's advocate or transfer to become a barrister I want to open up my own firm I kind of want to do entertainment and criminal law that's right Patsy's clapping that's like my own that's like my dream I want to be independent yeah. And I want to represent my own. I feel like there's so much like black talent out there now. It's like why you know other people who are representing them probably don't look like me. And it's like why not represent them? I'd be able to uplift my own community, give them training contracts, and not make it so hard and all the battles that I've had to go through. And I also want to create like a safe environment. You don't have to code switch in my office. You can be your authentic self. Mm. This is it, and you know that's like my dream, honestly. Well done, <laughs> and, you know, really yes. uplifting them and um, also in the spirit of if you can see it, you can be yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, it's the truth. I think that's what we all found. I mean, this is how we found each other yeah. as well, because there's not a lot of black people in the Crown Court. So even me working for probation and Soraya and Hazel working for the CPS, like when we would be in court, it's almost like we, we're seeing, you know, as young black women, we're not seeing people that look like us on the right side everyone else is a defendant or you know a witness or whatever so I think that's what drew us together and why we're so maybe like passionate I guess about what we're working with because we see a lot of disparities between white people and people of ethnic minorities how they're treated in court how they're sentenced and things like that so yeah I think it drives a lot of you know we want to have that exposure and show you know what they actually can be black people that are not just the defendants or the criminals and we find that a lot of the time in court you know, we've seen, like me and Saray have been in court together, and we've seen black people that have just come into court, like um, someone that works for the news, reporters, and the judge is saying, you know, you can let yourself into the dock. The dock officer will be back in a second, and he's he's a reporter, you know, and it's just because he's black, and they're assuming that. So, you know, it would be nice to see more people of colour, like, taking these kind of roles and roots and, sh- and showing that we can be more than just the defendants. Mm. But then how does, yeah. I, I, you know, I was, I, I'm sure everybody's heard the story well, today, over the last couple of days, I think of the 15-year-old Child girl. Q or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Absolutely. I mean, um, but, you know, the biggest thing is trust. It is. You know, our community just does not have trust. And those things kind of eroded. That happened two years ago. Yeah. And we're hearing about it now. Thank God that woman has gone. Yeah. You know, um. But yeah, I think it all boils down to trust, really, in terms of us as a community actually saying to our young ones, yeah, that, that, that's, that's, you know, you want to go and work in there. Yeah. Because how many, um, I would personally, I would be like, mm, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it can be quite disheartening because, you know, we had a race confident talk in the CPS. I think a lot of organisations have now become a lot more aware of, like, you know, the plight that ethnic minorities may face in the workplace and everyday life since, you know, George Floyd. Mm. So there was like, you know, there were like chief crown prosecutors, senior crown prosecutors saying that, you know, they've experienced discrimination when they've gone to court. He said that he was, you know, he was mistaken for the defendant's family member. Mm. He went, I graduated from defendant to family member. Mm. And he's the chief crown prosecutor of like South Mm. London. And they're looking at him as if he's a, you know, he should be in the dock. Yeah, basically. Margaret, you're going to jump in there. Yeah, I was just going to give you the stats. So it's, it's 10 percent. Well, yes. Uh, sorry, fifty-six thousand prisoners, approximately, in 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 prison to date, where nine thousand of them are are black prisoners. So it makes up about twenty-five percent. 
across the wider prison population of Bane. So that includes Asians as well. That's the, I mean, those are staggering numbers. 25% of prisoners in prison today are Bane. I mean, we're not surprised. <laughs> we, we see it every day. So, you know, I've seen, especially what Lyd was saying about trust. Um, you know, I, I remember when I got into probation, it was never, I don't think I ever woke up and said I wanted to work for probation, but I've just found myself in, in this career. And, you know, with people that I know and grew up with, you know, everyone's now basically, you're a fed and, oh, you switched to the wrong side and all of that type of stuff. And it's not the type of job, I guess, that you're black people, you. yeah. yeah, black people would be My doing. My call me Angela Valdez. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it is one of those things, like, why, what, what, what's wrong with you? Why are you in this role? Yeah, honestly, but, you know, these type of roles, we should be in these roles because we need to be protecting yeah. our people. They and need I, I work, Exactly, I work for probation and I've seen a lot of, you know, I see the differences in sentencing between yeah. first-time offenders for whites and first-time offenders for black people. And it's, it's sad to say, and I, I get quite upset about this, but a lot of the black defendants will go straight to jail. Do not pass go, do I not collect £200, they're going to jail. Whereas, you know, almost it's like the sentencing judges where they're all white and they're all a lot older, they believe that, you know, when they see the white defendants, they deserve a second chance and they should be rehabilitated and they need help. But when they see the or black defendants, yeah, when they see the black defendants, they should have known better <laughs> and all of that type of stuff and they go to jail. So, so what I would ask then with all of that is, uh, you know, um, in the year that we're breaking the bias, um, yeah, what biases are that? But those are loads of biases right there, isn't it? Um, <laughs> So it's really very, very disheartening um, from that mm. perspective. Um, and as you'll say, you know, they will go straight to jail. I think I think you're right about the point, the judges. I mean, majority of judges in the UK are white. Yes. Yeah. They can't relate and understand. And it's also like a culture thing as well. So they don't really understand certain things. And I remember when I was in the courts writing reports, my manager was actually telling me to take certain things out because she doesn't think it's relevant. But I'm saying, actually, it is relevant to understand. And she was almost trying to say, like, I was taking it, you know, too personally, mm. getting too involved. Mm. But I'm saying, you know, it's in certain, yeah, certain cultures, yeah. you need to know that culture context but they don't really want to hear it stick to the facts and you know he done this and he done that and whatever but you know there's there's times when people have committed offenses it's been two three years since they've committed that offense they might have changed their life since then then they were suddenly dragged to corks all the evidence is ready and you know that I'm sitting with them and I can see you know they're not minimizing they're accepting they know that they've messed up they need a second chance but the judges are not giving them that second chance mm -hmm. and it's almost like then you're ripping them away from everything they've just worked to change their life oh, around yeah. right to put them into prison and then what they're going to have when they come out how are they then supposed to change if no one's given them that chance so yeah no jobs and actually no jobs yeah just no life Go well, on. there you go. Look at the numbers. One percent of um, judges are actually black. Mm. Yeah. Hello, Stephanie. Hello, Stephanie. Hello. Shaking my head and like thinking, oh my goodness. So I guess from your point of view, then, because you guys are writing the reports, you guys are going into court, you guys are representing, and you've been told to take stuff out. You know, what what does change really look like? And I know, obviously, we've looked at the stats. One percent, only one percent of judges are black. You know. What will it actually take before we're able to sort of stop, you know, start seeing statistics look the other way? I just think it's so disheartening to hear that, you know, um, 
you know, where's where's the true voice? Because I think, like you say, you know, we've had Black Lives Matter, we've had George Floyd, you know, we've had all of these things and interventions, but the stats speak for themselves. And I think you guys on the ground are seeing the reality of, of what's out there. You know, what would you say, like, from what you can see, you know, what will it take to change these stats? Um, I think it would take a lot, to be fair. I personally think it takes for, like, I think you need to, like, encourage, like, black children, like, from school to want to be within the criminal justice yeah. system. Because I think when you have, like, a lot of, like, black people who think, oh, you know, I don't like the police, you know, mm. the police are bad, which I'm not saying that they're not. Like, there are obviously bad police officers which are out there. But I think to, like, deal with it, you need to be in those places mm. so you can make the change so yeah. if you're like a young black boy and you're realizing you know what the police are corrupt that they're, they're doing things like I get stops on the street you're better off being within the police service and there's more not even just young black boys all ethnic minorities within it so it's more diverse so with Chelsea speaking about being in the probation service and being told to like take things out of her report like let's say like if you're if there was a lot more you know um ethnic minority within the police if like let's say there was a like white police officer who was like oh saw like a black guy you know driving a nice car and was going yeah. to stop him if his partner is a um partner I mean it's a like, police partner that's working alongside him like said to him you know what I think why are we stopping him like yeah. what has he yeah. actually done for us to stop do we have a reasonable reason to stop his car and I think if you have more stuff like that in my, I think that is stuff that can help change it. And then if you have more black people going into like law and going to criminal yeah. justice system and then like work their way up. So hopefully like one day, Saray and I will be judges making mm. decisions. So that if we're sentencing people, I wouldn't, You'd obviously they're sentencing guidelines that you have to like follow. Yeah, and yeah, I'm not yeah. going to just be like, oh, they're black. So I'm not going to want to send them to prison. But at least if like, you know, if it's just more diverse and, you know, there's people who understand cultural things. I think sometimes you just see stuff and you just know there's no cultural understanding of like why someone's like reacted like yeah. in a way. And mm. I just think it's just horrible like to see when people get sentenced. So what keeps you like, going then? What keeps you going doing your job every day? I think it's the fact that I want to be like the change that I want like to see I think it's literally that like it might sound like weird to think that I actually one day like want to be a judge and I haven't even qualified but that is literally no. like what I see myself doing one day yeah. I want to like make a difference I would love for like young people to say I saw Hazel like do it so that has made me mm. like realize that I can do it so so you mentioned earlier about the training contracts I yeah think. so mm. how how is that going and where are you? I'm still, I'm literally still doing like applications now. I, I feel like it's a lot harder, like as an ethnic minority, because I think there's just like a lot more pressure on you. Like I think people just, you have to be like excellent. There's no, you can't just be, you average. know, average, like average, just it's just it's not accepted. Isn't, isn't like something that we've all grown up with anyway. To be, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right and work harder. So I guess from that point of view, it's something that all of us around this table have mm, been you. hearing from the time we were young anyway. Yeah. yeah. So um, are you getting any support at all from anyone to help you with these training contracts? Not really. Like, I feel like I have support from like Saraya and Chelsea, just like being like my friends and just seeing them within the criminal justice system. That's literally what keeps me going. But apart from that, I wouldn't say there's anyone else that's really like, I have people who say like, oh, if you want me to take over your application, I will. But 
you know that's when people say things but then you don't talk at all after then then I don't really feel comfortable like enough to just be like oh here's my application like I think you need to you know build a relationship to mm. like you know feel confident enough to send but you also but, have to stop planting the seed and that that was yeah the right, seed. yeah yeah, yeah. And, and I think you're I, right. yes. I think that we, oh, we sorry. really fail. Okay. Sorry, <laughs> um, I think we really fail in that networking space, particularly for some of these quite protected, um, as I say, protected, but industries where actually the representation just isn't there. I feel like, honestly, the mentorship and support and and the networking isn't isn't there, and that doesn't help. Mm. So I do it's feel like a lot though. of people. Is that is that a genuine? Well, I mean, are, are there no organisations that are looking to extend diversity in the legal profession? Are, are there those types of organisations in place? Are there places that young lawyers can go to and seek to kind of get coaching, advice, guidance and pathways into the system through other firms who are less, you know, biased against the prospect of taking on Bain? Like milk rounds? I have no, seen... Well, I mean, I'm looking at an article now following um, the David Lammy report that was developed mm-hmm. in 2017, talking about raising the number of, um, you know, legal representatives of BAME in, in the legal justice system. And um, one of the campaigners that spoke about the disappointment from the decision by the government to say, actually, um, placing more fame lawyers and judges isn't isn't the pathway to making you know a balance around discrimination in the legal justice system that they're part of a, a campaigning group so i wondered how visible are those groups you know how how easy is it to tap into those kind of support groups who could then talk at ways that you could move into more senior roles have more influential posts what what visibility is there of that to you guys I mean do you do you see these groups there's a group called um it's NBCPA what's it stand for again the, the National, National Black, Black Crown Prosecution Association mm-hmm. and there's also like a Black Solicitors I've um, seen yeah organization but how how have you are you and members any of you or? I'm members of the National Black Crown Prosecution yeah. Association. So am I, yeah. And they do do like lots of interesting yeah, talks. Really good ones. They create safe spaces, really. Yeah. So you can talk, you know, freely amongst yourselves. Mm. But do they have, um, do they have pathways, you know? They, do they actually yeah. do hold events? Mm. I don't think they, I may be wrong, but I don't, I've not seen that they have like a pathway, but I have done what, like they have like these workshops in which they help you with like doing your application. So I have actually done one of those before. So like, that's really good. But I think sometimes, and that's not me saying they're not doing enough because they are amazing as an organization. It's like you feel that people have like a hand into like a firm. They know someone to get them in the in a firm. And if you don't know anyone, it can just be just like really like hard. So, um, so therefore, what's going on with the sponsorship? Because that's what you all need, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think law's really inaccessible, which is why probably not a lot of ethnic minorities do go into law. So it's 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 expensive. Once you finish your your degree, you have to pay for your LPC or training course. That's like sixteen like sixteen grand, depending mm. on where you do it. So depending on where you do it, yeah. if you go far out. If you're in London, it's like 
quite expensive. Yeah, and securing a place, correct? It's not always easy. Yeah, to land. It's not, it isn't it's always not. guaranteed, which is why I can see why a lot of people can get disheartened. I mean, hundred percent. One time, you know, I did law. I went straight from uni, and I was like a legal secretary, and then you know, I went from one like like a, I guess I get a high street firm to a regional firm. I experienced like a lot of discrimination in the regional firm. I thought, you know, do I really want to invest my money in the LPC? Do I really want to do this career path? So I took a career break and I did something else and I came back to it. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? I have another I have another question. Um so I know what um one of you spoke about or both actually emerging to barrister level. Is it still the case? Do they still have that um pompous pageantry with becoming a barrister where you have to do the is it yeah, the 12 yeah, dinners and all that do. kind of yeah. stuff? Do, do they still do? do that? It's called, um, you have like pupillage and like within your pupillage, oh. there's like a certain amount of like dinners that you yeah. have to do, which that is like very expensive. You so have to, you have to pay to be part yeah. of like a, um, an inn, don't you? Yeah. Mm. It's, it's very expensive. coming out, isn't it? Yeah. And imagine if you're not like, basically, if you work for the CPS, you're considered like an internal barrister but if you're external you have to imagine you'll go you have to pay for your own transportation you could especially when you're like a pupil barrister mm. they can send you anywhere mm. in the UK you have to pay for that and you you do not get paid until a case is concluded so that could be you know Weeks, sometimes yeah. cases go on for years yeah. and you so work imagine work if you're not self-employed from, you as a barrister. yeah so imagine if you're not from a wealthy background Unless how you are you sustaining CPS. your lifestyle mm. cps barristers they're employed they're, yeah they're, they're lucky yeah. salarized yeah and as Saray was saying, like, you didn't get paid until like the end of the case. I was doing a special measures application for a case that goes back to 2017. So whoever's dealing with that case, they wouldn't have been paid. So unless you have a second job, obviously this is, if you're a barrister, it's very intense. You won't have time to, you know, be doing something else alongside Stacking it. Stacking so. shelves, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <In> <laughs> you, you, won't, time, you, yeah, yeah. you won't have time to be, Night you have to be like reviewing a case. So, so you guys are prepared for this then? <laughs> no, that's why there was that deep sigh. <laughs> it was deep. I mean, sometimes I... I... It's good to be determined, though. Sometimes that's, you know... Yeah. That's where it has to start, with that determination. And it yeah. sounds like you're determined. I think everything else will kind of fall into place if, if the determination remains and, you know, you remain that committed. Yeah. Mm. Oh, wow, that sounds so demoralising, <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> keep the faith, guys. You might not be able to eat, but no, keep the I, faith. I, I think it, it's nice to, like, um, like have, like, survival, because I think we've had quite, like, a similar, journey. like, like journey. And I think we literally just, like, bonded over it. And even though, because I don't want to say like, it was nice to hear someone's gone through what I have, because it's been really hard. At the same time, it was, because it, made, it makes you feel, like, not so... Validated like, a little bit. Yeah. And not on your own, and actually your experience has been shocking. Yeah. Mm. So all three of you are studying. Yeah. yeah I'm studying. I've actually concluded um, my studying now. Okay, but, um, so what's next for you then? It's to get the training contract. Which you will get. Stage. You will get. Of course you'll get. That's my next stage. Yeah, yeah. Whoever's listening to this, you need it, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll take you one out for dinner when I get it. <laughs> 
But another question for you all, has has COVID also had a negative impact on you securing training contracts, for example, or kind of facilitating moving your careers forward? I would say only in the part that it's made me not want to leave the civil services much. The security. Because of, yeah, because yeah. of the security. Because we worked during the pandemic, the courts were still open. So when mm. we were seeing everyone being furloughed and stuff, while it was very annoying still having to go into work, we was grateful that we still had work to go to. Yeah. In terms of the restorative justice piece, how was that in COVID? probation is very different so I mean when I was working in the courts we were still the courts were open so I was expected to attend but it was I had a conversation with one of my guys the other day and he's really annoyed basically because so while the courts were open and everyone was getting sentenced no interventions were running so he's on a 12-month order which started last summer he's due to end at the beginning of June he hasn't done anything he's got all these hours of unpaid work all these hours of um, interventions to do, but because nothing was running, so I've had to break the bad news to him basically to say, do you know what? We're going to have to extend your order. And he is not happy about it. So in a sense, it's like the judges were pushing for the courts to get, oh, they don't want this backlog because the backlog is impacting everyone. But you're sentencing people to orders where they can't start orders about nine months into their orders. They've got three months left. It's not practical for them to finish all these hours and stuff like that because they're working. They've got other stuff going on. And now almost it's like they're being punished twice because now mm. I'm saying, do you know what, mate? You was on a 12-month order. You, you was meant to end at June. I'm going to have to extend it for probably another six months to another year to give you enough sufficient time to finish all of that type of stuff. So there is a massive backlog of people waiting to start all of their sentences requirements because nothing's been running during the pandemic so I go back to word that word trust Mm. and I think that's what's hard and I you know again as 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 a black female trying to get people to have trust and then you know almost like he's telling me this is out of order and I want to say it is out of order but then I can't say it's like I'm just like oh it's just the way it goes mate I'm a bit sorry but you know (laughs) you're gonna have to put the time in and just to ask you another question back to the topic on motivation I know that you're saying like obviously it's difficult particularly with Covid and it's made you know various things harder but have you got any good news stories that you can share so any outcomes that you know you that put a smile on your face I'm hoping that you've all had at least one of these cases where actually things have gone well and you've had some impact and actually as a result of what you're doing you've seen something really good come out. I was going to say Helen, like James Brown, please, please, please. <laughs> End on a positive. <laughs> yeah, so what good news stories have you guys got to share? Saray's looking like she's really... Give me five minutes to think of um, Well, I have one good news story, which was from a PSR that one, I did. You know, one. one, yeah. One that comes to mind because that was my really, like, happy moment. Um, and it was to do with this young boy that had committed an offence, drug dealing. It was his first time offence. And he was he was a young black boy and I'm, I'm a young black woman. So I'm thinking, do you know what? You're going to be fine. Like, I'm going to write you a really good report. Like he he was given everything he needed to give in the interview. He was open. He was willing to discuss a lot of things. He was able to identify himself, the reasons why he committed the offence, why he's not committed any further offence. And he'd really worked hard to change his life around. And I was feeling quite positive about his case um he he had started uni in the interim and all of that type of stuff so I wrote this all in the report said you know the reasons why he committed the offense and um it was pretty much straightforward like he was selling drugs he wanted a bit of money do you know what I mean he was living in quite bad conditions at home he wasn't happy at home this tied in again with like a whole culture thing and I was like you know I kind of see where you're coming from and all of that 
and then so the report that you wrote is is that that's reviewed by your manager it, it's or, not well and yeah they then they meant to well that one wasn't gatekept but I had discussed it so when I do write my reports as an unqualified probation officer I would go for the go to advice for the qualified people and they was all happy with everything I wrote and my proposal was for a community order like there was no need for this guy to go to jail he literally was like 19 and committed the offense when he was like 17 so it was you know mature maturity plays a big part into Mm. this whole situation and then it was a traveling judge so I didn't know him personally he wasn't often at the crown court and he actually got I think it was like four years in custody and I, yeah, I felt so bad mm-hmm. because I'd gassed him up so much to be like, don't worry about it. You're fine. You just need a bit of community service, blah, blah, blah. blah. So he actually got custody and I couldn't even look him in the eye because I felt so bad. Um, and then off he went to, to custody. And, you know, I was so upset. I went back, spoke to my manager about it and I said, that's wrong. Because I think the day before there'd been a really similar case with, with, with a white person and they got a community sentence. So I was like what is happening there's no consistency there's no Mm. consistency in the sentencing it's just like depending on how the judge feels on the day you know how he didn't have had his week of it yeah Mm. how how he got (laughs) sentenced but that was on a Friday when he got sentenced and I swear all weekend I I just felt sick I couldn't even sleep I was thinking oh my god I hope he's okay in jail and all of that type of stuff come the Monday the judge had actually brought it back to court on so a the judge had thought of I feel I know the case yeah. you're talking about because I was literally going to use that as my yeah, example because I wrote his PSR what, what do you call it is it like a split rule yeah. is it a split rule when the judge changes their mind yeah it's called the slip yeah. rule yeah, yeah. slip rule that's it so the judge had brought it back to court on the slip rule and he said that he'd spent the weekend re-reading over my report and he felt that the guy deserved a second chance yeah. the guy actually so when he caught back to court to be fair, I was a bit annoyed because I thought the judge was taking the mick a bit because he'd had uni, he had all these things going on that had just oh, been yeah, yeah. blown away because he'd been sent to custody. And then the judge was like, do you still have your uni place? Do you still? Ha-? And I'm like, well, he's been in jail. So how's he supposed to know what he's, you know, you could have mashed up a lot of things for him, his mm. accommodation, whatever and whatnot. And actually the judge said, you know, after rereading Miss Blake's PSR, I've had to change a heart and I've checked the sentencing guideline, blah, 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 changed it to a community order. And he actually was released that day. And oh. I, that was such a good feeling for me. He came to, he actually came down to see me. We was all jumping around in the office I was like what you want you need a drink you need you need some food I'm gonna feed you and he was basically saying that he didn't even know that was happening he got woke up in the morning by the prison guards told to get ready was dragged back to the court no one had told him he didn't even have time to call his family to say I'm back in court all of this thing I let him use my phone I was like call your people's man get them to come pick you up he said I was like stay here for as long as you want and all of that and that was to me, that was nice because I really was gutted that he went to custody. But, but that, that's good that they, the judge reconsidered. But everyone was saying after that sentence, even the solicitors and barristers were like, that was harsh. Yeah. yeah. Everyone was in stunned silence when he got to cust- got sentenced to custody. So and I am think, glad. Do you think the judge just. Recorders tend to sentence quite hard. They do. They do. They do. So, because I was going to use the example that Chelsea just because I didn't even know that you wrote the report mm. because I was actually in court that day and I remember his barrister like she was like in shock she was really pushing the judge to like mm. say like are you sure yeah like, are you really sure mm. this is what you want to do and she was really trying to like say because when you're sentencing someone you can like you can take you can suspend it because she was trying to like break it down yeah. like, trying to say so I think you can only suspend it if, if it's, it's two, two years, years or less yeah, yeah two years or less so 
he was over yeah, that. And, it was and, crazy. Yes, it was well it was over two. And she was trying everything. She was like, you know, he hasn't committed committed any offenses. Yeah, 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 yeah Vass was amazing. She was really pushing it. And um, had like the judge not done like what he did over the weekend. And she's defense. Obviously, I work for CPS. So we didn't really talk to each other, but just because everyone was just in so much shock, mm. she was saying to me, I am going to like appeal this. She's like, I think there's just something completely wrong oh, with no. this. And I think the judge, well, he's not actually an official judge. Like before you become a judge, you're called like a recorder. So it's like you just sit in different crown courts and stuff. And I, I think he obviously went home over the weekend and probably thought, you know, I'm probably never going to become a judge. Yeah. <laughs> and do you know what? This was I just around the time scared. when everyone was just... all on the Black Lives yeah. Matter type vibe as yeah, well. So it really, I was really upset with my, like I said to my manager, I said, you lot are speaking about all of this Black Lives Matter stuff. And then you go and sentence like that. It makes no, and to me, it was really uni. disheartening to me. I was like, I'm like new in the service, you know, I'm trying to help people. And yeah, what is the point? Yeah. And to add to that on the end he actually called me the other day by accident because he was meant to have an appointment with his probation officer so now I'm on the other side and he was like I remember you and I was like how have you been like what's going on he was like I'm at the end of my order I was like oh my I actually felt like he was my little child I was like I'm so happy that you've got to the end no breaches you ain't been back pulled back into court or anything like he literally done his time and he was just like thank you so he was like I will not forget what you did for me and I was just like that is very that's sweet. That's a good news story. Isn't yeah. It? That's a really good news story. And um, it just goes to show, I think sometimes actually just having someone caring and it's good to see you guys doing this job and actually caring about the outcomes. Because I think a lot of times people go into these things and like you say, different situations cause people to, to you know, go on the wrong side, etc. But I just feel like, you know, especially for young people sometimes just having someone who actually cares takes that time to listen and support them yeah, anyway incredible story thank you it is incredible so i was i was going to ask about the question about the judge and and reversing their decision i mean how frequent is that not very yeah. it was the first time i'd ever heard of the slip rule i had to google it and everything because i was like what is happening when i saw his name being relisted on the monday I was like, what? And then I was speaking you to my manager about it. Because I remember you talking to I was about so upset. It. Yeah, I was so upset. Like, I was wow. like, it didn't really make no sense to me. But I don't think they do it that often because, you know, it's all about mm. having trust and faith in the courts. If the judges are changing their minds every two seconds, it's going to start a whole different scenario, isn't it? Okay. And I wanted to ask a second question. I know, Saray, you want to go. Um, but my second question, when you guys get to it, is um, there is a suggestion that there's high levels of bias against women um not necessarily women offenders but women victims and the way that the criminal justice system is treating those victims um I wanted to get some thoughts from you on what you think there what what are you seeing on the ground but Saray you go oh no because it was not in relation to your question oh in, no 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 but finish up and then we'll, we'll Margaret, go back in, in relation to your question I don't know if I'd say that I see a bias but I do think I see like a lack of really. So priority cases are cases in which there's a defendant in custody because you have a thing called a custody time limit running. So you, you need to get the trial listed before the custody time limit ends. And then the other priority is supposed to be like rape cases um, and cases in which you have like vulnerable people. That's why I said rape, because obviously if you're a rape victim, you're considered vulnerable. Or if there's like children in the cases as well, they're all considered vulnerable. But the priority case will always be a case where there's a custody time custody, limit. Yeah. So if you have like a rape case 
and the case of a custody time limit, if the so custody time limit's running out, they will drop the rape case and list the custody time limit case. Okay. And I think by doing that, it's like you're disregarding how if you're like a victim who's vulnerable, how they may feel because your case could get pushed off for like another year. And if you're just waiting for justice, you want your case listed as soon as possible. So I think there is... It's more that I wouldn't say I witnessed a bias. But I would definitely say it's like you're forgetting that they are like actual people behind yeah. this stuff. Yeah. Like I think sometimes it's like a barrister or like a judge. You can be so wrapped up in like the legal kind of side of things. Yeah. So from a mental health perspective, then because obviously you know if you're a rape victim and you're sitting there, you know you're hoping it's going to be um, done as quickly as possible. Um, you know, it must be rife. And my understanding is like before, they used to like delay, like they wouldn't say you cannot get therapy for rape victim, but they wouldn't want to necessarily encourage you because the defense can use that like kind of like against you. Mm. Because if, you, um, if oh, you, yeah, because if you go into therapy, then obviously they will talk to you about, you know, what's happened to you and they can, you know, start you know, pulling information mm. out of you. And it's not to say that you're lying, but you know, like if you like, you know, if something's traumatic you can like suppress it and then if you see a yeah. therapist they can remind you about mm. it so the defense can ask you know did she or if it's a he did or just did they um see okay. a therapist yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, and if you say yeah then it's just a thing that the defense can you know just you. put it as a seed in the jewelries <coughs> like mine to think mm, well you know she has seen a therapist you know is it completely accurate what she's saying so it's not that you're told you cannot see a therapist you're just told if you discourage see a therapist. yeah mm. so I, I think that is a problem like as well even though I know now like for the CPS put like you guided out that they really encourage victims to see therapists because they're thinking you know what it doesn't matter what the defense are going to do you really right should thing. focus yeah, on, on your mental health so I think it's right that they're pushing that but I think it's sad that you know they can even be used against someone that they've gone to therapy when obviously if something that's happened to you you probably should do therapy yeah and I know that obviously you're talking about therapies for victims and that's you know but also you know just judging from the passion that you guys have and also you know you guys are young young not you know middle young like we are I'm just <laughs> to understand what about you guys you know what about your mental health what support is out there for you because you know I know that Chelsea you mentioned you couldn't sleep the whole weekend and I can see the passion you know when, when something good happens, how great that feels and also how frustrating it must feel when things don't quite go as planned. Um, and we know that there is that bias that we, you know, we see in the stats anyway. Um, yeah, what support is it? How do you guys keep on top of it? And how do you guys keep going and taking care of your own mental health, I guess? I think that's an interesting question because I think for probation, we're a lot more in in like I'm getting into the nitty gritty of people's lives and understanding their history. And a lot of time when people come to probation, they're probably telling me a lot of stuff they've never ever told people before. And um, I think as an unqualified probation, probation officer, I was watching a lot of my qualified colleagues um, they deal with a lot of high risk cases. So you've got like the sex offences and things like that. And I used to sit in on a lot of interviews where my colleagues are actually interviewing people that are sex offenders and you have to ask a lot of in invasive questions. And for me personally, 
I'm like, how do you sit and talk to someone about, you know, things that you don't necessarily agree with that are not with your morals and, you know, people are making jokes about certain things and minimising that. That was always my concern going into like the probation and doing my own qualification because I was thinking I don't feel comfortable sitting and talking to someone about, you know, you know, sex offences and all of them type of stuff. I don't know how I would feel and how I would take her home, but I think the probation service is actually quite good and, and on top of mental health. We have a lot of discussions. Um, they schedule a lot of coffee breaks. We have like a wellbeing engagement forum like once a week that they say, you know, you're welcome to join at any time. We've got a lot of um, benefits and stuff like for free therapy and things like that. You can actually go and talk to your managers a lot and debrief. I mean, the workload is really high and we are quite short staffed in the probation service, but I think the managers are really supportive. Um, but I think it's just one of those things of being able to like switch off. And I found since switching roles in the core, I would literally see you for that day. So you'd come in, I'd interview you, you'd get sentenced, off you go. And unless I really felt passionate about your case, I'm not really thinking too much into the whole situation but with offender management it's a lot more heavy because now I'm following you throughout your journey so now I've got people that are, you know are drug users and I'm quite invested I'm like I'm gonna get you clean like this is my job like by the time you're done you ain't gonna be on them drugs so it is a lot more emotionally invested into my people yeah. now um but yeah I have a lot of good support from my manager and I know like I can discuss and go to people for advice if I need it you literally give me goose pimples I can't even speak you know honestly I just feel like wow you know you guys you're young and and you know you're out there making a difference in, on your own terms and delving into topics and things that are hardcore so honestly, to me, goosebumps, I had to like shake myself a little bit there. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, ladies, um, that was amazing. Mark, you've got something to uh, contribute. No, I, I was clapping. I was accolades of the ladies just to say, yeah, I mean, it sounds like a hugely tough job. I mean, just being around possibly those characters makes me nervous even. So, you know, embracing them and and kind of seeking to see them reform. Yeah. That's an amazing thing, yeah. I think well, one then. thing that's been great is the fact that like, we've actually just found each other because I think it's not, you don't always see people that look like you anyway. And when I started in the courts, I didn't see anyone that looked like me. And in the probation service, I felt like the staff age is quite, quite mature. <laughs> I don't want to offend anyone. So like, <laughs> I felt like people- like, like, young. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it's just like, I felt like they couldn't really, I'm seeing, like, I feel like people can't really relate to the people that we're getting through the course, do you know what I mean? So even though I don't work in the same, you know, organisation as Hazel and Soraya, like we've all got this kind of like the same end goal, we all have the same kind of like passion and we're all, I guess, essentially trying to do the right thing. So it is nice to be able to mix, you know, I can chill with my people from the CPS and everyone's like, why are you with the people from the CPS? And I'm because they're my people, innit? Like, <laughs> I'm going to chill and have my lunch break with Hazel and Soraya, you know? So it is, I think my hope is to see like, I want defendants mm -hmm. to walk in and say, do you know what? There are people that look like me, people that mm -hmm. actually understand. Because I think a lot of the time when I do speak to ethnic minorities, and I mean, I've had family members that are on probation and they've told me, oh, my probation officer is racist. And it's almost like they're being set up to fail so they can mm -hmm. go, so they can be sent to jail. So, yeah, it is nice to, you know, just see people that that are like us, I guess, and have yeah. that understanding. Well, I think you guys are doing an amazing job um, helping society, helping young people try and 
to not go through your service really or we offend mm. so you should all be really really proud of yourselves um i'm very proud of you all three of you so Raya, you was gonna add something there i, think. I was just gonna say that representation is really important yeah and yeah, it's true, even if you work with the CPS, even when it comes down to charging decisions, there's some cases that come from like, how did this even get to the Crown Court? The key ring case yeah. that springs to mind. We all know about the key ring case. It was like the Wakanda. Oh yeah, and, and I had to do the PS. Yeah. And he got actually found guilty a and yeah. a black guy. But he bought trainers. He like, got trainers. Oh my god, how do you want to oh, bring his PS? Because I always remember that case. It's horrible. Because yeah. I always felt like people, 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 people sorry. So <laughs> sorry. There was <laughs> a guy <laughs> that had bought a pair of trainers and he said he got a free key ring in these trainers. And then the police like arrested him. Yeah, they were just like some little it was like some knuckle thingies, yeah. It didn't even look like it could do any damage. damage he got arrested on a night out for having an offensive weapon no got- I, I thought because my moment that he didn't get arrested unless you having an offensive weapon he got no, searched he, like, yeah, he, yeah. yeah he, he got arrested for something else he like, must have gone to like an argument or yeah. something and then he was supposed to be released but when they, they when, when you go to um the police station they search you and it was his key ring yeah it was like and then it, they they charged him with having an offensive weapon like maybe he got police. sent to the crown court charged for having an offense never committed an offense before in his life literally was just on a night out with his mates I had to write his report and it's li- they was literally acting like he was going out, punching up people, killing people with this offensive weapon. But when you say, how did it get to Crown Court? Where should it have, have not seen? Where should it have ended? When you have like but a charging decision, though, that's so basically thing, what the police do, they'll send this over to the CPS to come up with a charging decision. But, but they will also send over like exhibits. So if I saw that as a key, I would be like, no, this is not an offensive weapon. It's a key It was ring. really small. It's basically a key change. But sometimes things like that can slip through the net. And this is why it's important to have representation you know some people who also follow law they come from a very like narrow background yeah 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 yeah. whereas like i've been exposed like so many cultures so many different like life experiences you know different people from different classes like social mobility because you know you obviously as you grow you move in different circles i'm not going to forget about you know people i grew up with and that might be biased as well because they might have just looked at him and said you know what you're young you're black you're obviously aggressive you're carrying a weapon that's why you need to be at the crown court quite you know passionate about their cases I felt that was a bit of a personal vendetta case because Mm. he was quite like a local person yeah and I think he was saying his mind about what he thought about the police they then okay it was like knuckle dust offensive weapon also I think it's because they they didn't get him what he was initially arrested for I can't remember what it was but whatever it was he was supposed to be released and it was when they were releasing him they found the key key and and it just felt like yeah it just felt like they were like we couldn't get you on this literally and now we're gonna get you we're gonna get you on something else they were seeking to try and yeah. to try and secure something yeah and i actually remember us talking about it amongst our colleagues on black and you know i was said said to my colleague who's like a white man i said if this was you you would have got a warning yeah of even yeah words you would have been walking away you not arrested not in the crown court yeah. now being charged with an offensive weapon and imagine when he applies for jobs it's just if you saw the same yeah. weapon it's a key thing people are gonna think it's a gun yeah a or knife, a big knife yeah do you know the child cue um, I was reading like a story about it and there was a term that I had never actually heard before. I think it was like ad- adultification or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, happens a lot to black men. Yeah. And to be honest, I'd never actually heard that term before, it but, but, but the description, it was saying like where 
um like people in like authority like teachers true, or police true. officers yeah, true, they young, young, young black people yeah, yeah. And as, adults. as adults because and I think the they're more street guys and I remember being treated like that when I was like you know really young like in school and stuff and it, it just because when you think about child Q and, and how she was treated Treating. it feels like yeah. it's because it's that because like obviously I can't say it as a fact because it's not happened but like you just doubt you would hear that that would happen to like a young, young white child. What, could you yeah. could you yeah. look at yeah. her like that's a child? Yeah. She's no, apparently it's, it's, it's a real term, adolfication bias. Mm. Yeah, yeah so I, I've, I've heard, heard of it before. I've never heard of the yeah. term. It's a description that I was like, that is just and so true. And do you know true. why I heard of it? Because I've noticed that what happens with a lot of um, Black defenders, like, you know, these young boys who probably are one, like, possessing with intense yeah. cases, a lot of them are quite young and they send them to adult prison. Yeah. They can really go mm. to youth yeah. defenders. They don't mm. really have to go to adult, but I think they look at them yeah. and they don't see them as they don't. youth. I actually that is exactly visit. That is exactly the reason. They see them and assume that they're older yeah. and so they give them automatically um they start screening them on the basis of adulthood mm. yeah. so I they, did are, a... they are under age they are minors yeah. but they're not being treated as minors yeah i don't know if there's like a term for this but i feel like um but i can i've definitely experienced it myself but i feel like as a black woman you're not treated the same as like a white woman like yeah. you're not treated like as fragile i remember like in school like if i ever had like an argument with like a white girl and if she cried even though bet well you two can't see me but like i'm not like tall intimidate anything like that i could literally have an argument with a white girl who's a lot taller than me a lot bigger and they would always act like Oh, Hazel's you're the aggressive the one, yeah. and you know you're intimidating. But what actually, like, if I was white, would I be considered mm. intimidating? It's I just... mean, even at work, you can find that you have white colleagues who can be like quite feisty, very vocal, and nothing happens. And I feel like you know, if this was a black person, they would have been rep- reprimanded by now. Yeah. So I do think they do have that sort of protection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. And I think um, those are the terms that we've lived by. I don't think it's um, as being <laughs> middle young. Yes. Yeah. Um, we have um, suffered with that, I would say. Um, but today has been a fantastic conversation. It has. Um, words like, well, I love sure. I found someone. If you can see it, you can be it. Change <laughs> needs to come from within are the takeaways of this brilliant campfire. So in our own spaces, let's do our bit as a community or shelf tribe to uplift those whose passion it is to represent we. You know, after all, they are making a difference in a bid to cut crime and keep us all safe. Yeah. You know, um, and they face some um, uh, challenges, but uh, they've risen brilliantly. Absolutely. We're yeah. Trying. Well we done. Trying to absolutely. achieve our goals out here. Yeah. Well, you got your shelf supporters um, cheering you along. So, um, <laughs> yeah, no, and we we expect to have you back. You know, um, oh, yeah, because oh, you know, <laughs> a, a change is going to come from within. So, yeah. you know, we can keep on pace with the journey and actually see yeah. um, what's going on. And, and let's see oh, what that would be really nice. Yeah, actually. yeah, and let's see what we can do. You know, Soraya clearly wants to boss it yeah she was like, so, boy, she'd be employing all of us i hate working for people <laughs> <laughs> yeah but what i'm saying is let's see what we can do to actually bring the youth on with us yeah, yeah definitely you know, you're there you already know the challenges and everything so 
what we're saying is we need the change needs to come from within, but we need people to actually want to go within. Yeah. 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 So on that note, shelf listeners, our shelf of those of you who are owning your space on the shelf tonight with us. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for joining us and stay curious. Thanks everyone. Thank you for having us. Bye. 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 Lovely.